Welcome to the Catholic Youth Podcast, a podcast that will encourage and inspire you in engaging with young people in Catholic youth ministry. I'm Juliana, and in today's episode, number six, how to plan an event like a pro, I'm sitting down with Belinda Fusco, manager of events for the Archdiocese of Adelaide, to learn from her knowledge and experience in coordinating events. So whether you're looking for some advice to make planning small gatherings easier, or you're curious about how to put on a big event, this episode is packed with inspiration and tips that will have you planning an event like a pro in no time. So Belinda, welcome to the Catholic Youth Podcast. Thanks, Juliana. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks so much for coming. I'm really excited about today's conversation and to learn all things about events. Um, So for those who don't know you, could you just quickly tell us who you are, what you do, and what's been a highlight for you working with young people in youth ministry? Um, So my name is Belinda Fusco. I, as you mentioned, am the manager of the Archdiocesan Events Office, but prior to that, um, worked in the youth office uh, for a couple of years. (laughs) And so prior to starting in the youth office, I finished my teaching degree and that was kind of the link in. And I just loved the balance of being able to work with young people, but maintain the school connection. So working with young people, um, and like for, for a lot of people, they give you energy, you know, new ideas. They're just a lot of fun to be around. And um, being a young person myself, I felt yes. like I could relate to them a lot. Um, having that Catholic school experience and coming out of that um, and doing Catholic studies at uni, it was all kind of just a really nice way mm. that it all linked in and connected the highlight of the job was the job really I really enjoyed it ended up moving into full-time in the office um so forwent the um the teaching degree I haven't taught since I've worked in the youth office but I absolutely loved it and love the work I do today too so that's why I'm still here and how amazing to go from um teaching and loving that school environment loving being with young people but it's actually led you on sort of a different but also connected path um, that really goes to show there are so many different opportunities out there and yeah God's always got a, a great plan even if we don't know what's coming ahead. Absolutely I trust in that totally um, just seeing my own experience and where where it has led me throughout the the way I never expected any of this I suppose. I was really set on teaching when I studied teaching I absolutely loved it but having that exposure um while I was in my degree to the youth office and just, yeah, growing from there. I'm really grateful for for all the experiences I had in here, um, which led me to where I am now. So it's great. How amazing. And so I'm curious, um, it was a bit of a twist and turn. So how did you get into managing events and and what do you love about this work in managing and coordinating events? Um, So I guess the bottom line is really that I'm a bit of an organised freak, (laughs) Um, a pro and a con at some times. And I think most people would tell you, including my husband, he loves the organisation down to the weekly meal plans that I have. We'll never go hungry. No, that's right. (laughs) We're sorted every week. Um, But when I was working in here, I did start doing some wedding planning kind Mm -hmm. of as a little bit of a fun side gig. It was something that always piqued my interest. I really enjoyed. And part of the teaching was enjoying enjoying being organized, I guess. And so that kind of grew and grew. And um, I actually wasn't really looking to leave when I finished my time Mm -hmm. in Koya. Um, I was alerted to the job in the diocese. Someone that knows me quite well said, you know, I think that you would really enjoy this, maybe something to consider. And I thought, yeah, it might be. Um, So I went for the coordinator role at the time. So um, did that and was successful in getting the job and, yeah, started there and just, I guess, have been able to grow 
Yeah, there's a lot about it I love still yeah. to this day, but organising is probably the key thing. Yes. seems simple, but um, being organised is something I definitely love doing. Yeah, amazing. And so I'm curious as well, what type of events have you worked on in your role, both at Koya previously and in your current role? Yeah, so look, they vary. I mean, a lot of times when I say I, I'm manager of events for the Catholic Church, it's kind of the easiest way to put it to yes. when you, you know, in your secular setting. Um, and they say, well, what kind of events do you do? And it is really broad. I think um, I kind of try to explain it in a way that, you know, we've got some really big scale events and we have some pretty low key events. It ranges from a mass to, you know, in Koya, we had the, the youth festival yes. or the local World Youth Day celebrations yeah. in 2019. So things like that, which, you know, span over an entire day. Yeah. Things that go over a couple of days like ACYF. Um, but then in, in our space here, you know, one of our biggest events is the Marian Procession, which, you know, usually hosts a few thousand people. Wow. Um, and so there's just a lot of logistical prep in oh. making sure that that gets pulled off, you know, smoothly. Yeah. I love that that from those small, more intimate gatherings, like a smaller mass or, or other things, right up until those big thousands of people going to a procession, like event planning is needed for all of that, right? Absolutely. When we say events, we usually think it has to be this big ginormous thing, um, but really using some practical tips and skills and organisation um, it can really make even just, you know, small gatherings a lot more smoother and a lot more sort of meaningful. So that's why I'm really excited to sort of um, learn from you today. I am the, the student in this. Um, <laughs> so I'm really curious to get um, a few of the juicy bits on how do you even make events and um, vision them and make them happen. So, you know, someone might already have a bit of an idea or generally, like in my role a lot, we get, um, you know, requests or ideas from people mm-hmm. or we have to take over an event that, you know, runs annually and, yep. and get that up and running. Yep. So in sort of the mess of different ideas and expectations and hopes, where's a good place to start with events? Oh, it's a big question. Yes, um, it is. <laughs> and I guess it varies so much depending on what, as you mentioned, what kind of event you've got. But the biggest thing for me, I remember starting in this role, um, there wasn't a lot left behind, mm-hmm. I suppose. So when I came in and we have a really consistent calendar in terms of a lot of our annual events yes. are repetitive. Um, yeah, you can't move Christmas. like <laughs> Correct. You know, there's a lot of things that, you know, Anzac Day and Easter yeah. and things that just have to happen. Yes. But um, anything in between where you have an opportunity to be a little bit creative. But I would essentially, I started off just referencing photos from previous events and that ah. kind of guided me into what used to happen. And then from there I ended up, I have this holy grail document, I suppose, that um, took me a long time to develop and it's probably about 70 pages, but it's all our annual annual events that have, um, I guess, a process in place mm-hmm. in terms of who needs to be contacted, what the timeline should be, working backwards. I think that's probably my biggest tip just yeah. for myself is I always work backwards. So Reverse figuring out it. Okay. Yeah, figuring out where you start, so with the date of the event and then from there, you know, what do you want to do in terms of your marketing and who do you need to contact and how do you get people involved and setting up a timeline for yourself. That's realistic. Yes. Um, obviously, some events don't allow you that. You don't always get yeah. all the time in the world to plan things. Um, so you try your best where you can. But lists are huge. Yes. I, I find myself I need to write. Yes. And I'll never leave my day without making a list of where I need to take off. 
The next day. The next day when I come back. But working backwards is the big one. Working backwards. So with that as well, I'm like looking at photos and things. So it would be about maybe getting some inspiration first, working like reverse engineering it. Like my goal is to have this event on this date and these are the things I want. Correct. Okay. So when you kind of brainstorm all of that, um, you mentioned before about a timeline. Yes. Um, Now that's what gives me shivers. Um, (laughs) How do you sort of plot out that timeline? Like I know it's a little bit like asking how long is a piece of string, Mm -hmm. but um, is there a general idea of how much time you usually like to allocate for certain things? Yeah. And it's a funny thing because it's always that particularly with sending invitations out, it's always that sweet spot of not sending it out too early that people forget, but not sending it out too late that people haven't had enough notice. Usually I like to work on about six weeks in terms of sending an invite out if we're afforded that timeline. Sometimes we've had, um, you know, Masses that or services, particularly ecumenical services. I remember the Sri Lankan bombing, it was a service and um, it was the last, so it would have been, yeah, definitely pre-COVID, but it, I remember it being the last time I saw the cathedral at its capacity yeah. and beyond. I think we had about over a thousand people in there. So there was just people standing everywhere, but we had about, obviously, because these things happen and you don't have six weeks to no, send an invitation immediate. out. It's immediate. And so, you know, you you try as best you can, but in terms of... Um, you know, working out timelines. I think it depends on the tasks and the size of the event as well. So around roughly that time for invites and then I would just, again, um, the Marion Procession for me is a much bigger event. Mm -hmm. We usually plan that within the year. So you kind of, you know, as soon as January hits, it's um, everyone on deck. Yes. But um, kind of in the later part of the year, you're you're just kind of prepping in the background. But it still gives you a good six months um, lead up when you're trying to organise people to be there. Um, for a bigger thing yeah and getting vendors and things like that. well absolutely yeah. and that's the thing I think to consider is whether you need yeah photography and vendors and music and roles and particularly for us with mass we often ask people to be involved um, or even the procession let's say and so just giving people enough notice that yes. are they willing to be there you know if you're asking a choir to be there they need time to prepare that um, so I would literally just I ended up color coding my timelines oh, and so I'd yeah, just work back of, you know, three months out, a month out, two weeks out, one week out and list all the things that you need to do in that timeline. And then also creating things on the side as you think of them, yeah. um, a list of equipment you might need yes. or, you know, what you need to take with you. So you make sure that whenever you think of it and it sparks in your brain, I've, I've also made myself make a note in my phone if I'm not at my desk or not yes. at work where I think of something because a lot of this stuff rolls around my head at, you know, yes. totally um, inappropriate times yeah. when you can't sleep. Shower, or, yeah. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, make that note and don't forget it so you can, um, you yeah, you just don't feel frazzled, I suppose, when you're, yeah. when you're getting back into that space to keep planning it. Right. And how do you, how do you prevent yourself from getting the frazz? Because it's a lot of different moving parts. Um, so how do you prevent yourself getting frazzled or feeling overwhelmed? Yeah, again, for me, it's lists. I find that in a moment where I feel like I've got a lot, you know, we might have multiple events in a week and just making sure I've always kind of said we, you know, very lovely people will give me very lovely uh, compliments to say, you know, you often look really calm at an event, but I'm, I joke with my colleagues to say, oh my gosh, they didn't see us a week ago in the office, you know. (laughs) So it's a lot of that background work that I always, I've, you know, firmly believe, and I suppose it is the case that once you hit the event, there's not a lot you can do. It's all that background. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And it's a lot of that background work that you've got to do beforehand before you get there. There's no point worrying 
about it on the day, there's only so much you can control then. Yes. So spending that time, um, again, working backwards, making your list, making sure you have a good timeline and, a, you know, an appropriate one as well, an achievable one. It, yeah. How do you work out what is achievable? Because um, especially maybe working in a team, like different people have different expectations of what you can slap together. Do you have any tips on how you sort of know what's achievable to do or keep that reality check in the yeah. midst of everything? Absolutely. I think once you do it, the more you do it, yes. the easier that gets. Yeah. I think if you're doing them as consistently as our office would, it becomes less stressful. Yes. And as, as I say, a lot of the stuff can be quite similar. So you kind of have a general timeline you'd work towards with certain things. And honestly, communication. Yeah. I think that is just the key if you are working in a team, yeah. just really openly communicating all the time about where you're at, who's doing what. Um, we would write actual lists and assign um, particular tasks yes. to particular people. So you know what you're working on and you might say, look, I'm not going to get time for that. Can you take over? Yep, great. So it's just that constant check-in makes a huge difference. And not to hold it all to yourself, I no. guess, because that, yeah, that can be overwhelming. How do you go about, because, um, you know, getting volunteers and, and delegating tasks, that can be tricky for a, a lot of people. Like, do you have any sort of mannerism or way that you think is best to you know, delegate or, or ask people because it can be an awkward thing. Like, hey, can you, you know, give up your whole Saturday to, you know, move chairs or things? Like, yeah. how, how do you sort of approach that in rallying the people around you? Age-old question. When you figure yeah. it out, let me know too. <laughs> Gosh. Um, I mean, there's a couple of events that we um, we would ask people, you know, vo- for volunteers. Um, I probably will say very honestly, that volunteer coordination or allocation is not my favourite thing. Sure. It can be really difficult. Once you've got the people, I think it, it makes life a lot easier to put people in roles, but there's also there's some risk or challenge in voluntary yeah. um, you know, commitments because you don't always know how able people are or yep. you know how much time they really want to offer and all those kind of things, and it can sometimes fall through. It is really tricky. For the most part, we've had a really successful you know, um, yeah. response to some of our voluntary things, but... I think the only thing you can do is put the idea out there and hope that people help. And having those relationships are really important. I mean, even um, last year at our... Marion Procession is one of the big ones we do ask for volunteers because we put so many chairs out. Yeah. Um, and we had a, a, a group of volunteers that came along that we hadn't met before. They were new to the diocese. And, you know, so it's just maintaining that contact, yeah. I think, makes a really big difference supporting them, you know, not just when you need them, but outside of that. Yeah, that give and take. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, naturally there are people you have those relationships with anyway, but then just taking an extra bit of... Um, care yeah I suppose and recognizing that um, you know that they're giving their time and effort I mean for me um, both having been you know worked in some events and volunteering something that really um, made a difference when being asked to is when someone gives very sort of specific idea of what it is so if someone says oh can you just come on Sunday and like help out you're like okay Hmm, what does that mean? But if someone yeah. said, would you be available for two hours on Sunday? Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure there's lunch for you. We would just need someone to maybe move chairs for two hours um, and then you'd be free to go. Like saying what really this expectation is, Yes. Um, you know, I've found has been so much more helpful or really maybe pinpointing people with specific skill sets. Like someone may not be, um, you know, mobile ready to help physically or to, you know, speak at an event, but they would love to cook cupcakes or would love to, you know, um, you know, go pick up ice, you know, from the servo. So I guess it's also about really working out who can do want what and you that's know. right. And that, I guess yeah. therein lies that challenge as well, is figuring yeah. that all out. But as you, 
um, you're right in saying that setting that expectation makes a huge difference. People are more willing to come when they know what they're in for. Yes. Um, they know they're going to get lunch, yes. which always helps. <laughs> Absolutely. A little bit of food goes a long yes. way. Um, but yeah, we, I always just starting from myself, knowing that I've done a lot of volunteering yeah. in my time and, you know, just being able to, I mean, I've been in situations where you say, yep, I'll offer my hand and you get there and you think, okay, (laughs) didn't expect to be here nine to five, but let's do it, you know. Um, So, yeah, trying to give people a little bit more forewarning of what they're in for is is always helpful, yeah. Yeah, totally agree. where you can do that. Um, And before you mentioned about maybe leaving about six weeks for your invitations and and marketing of an event, now – for me in my role, I find this um, one of the hardest challenges is getting the message across and spreading mm-hmm. the word. Um, do you have any tips on like how to invite people, methods, ways? Again, good question. In this day and age, I feel like there's so many mediums and so yeah. many forms of inviting people. I'm probably not up with all of it, but, you know, um, I guess for the majority, and it depends, again, on the demographic, depends sure. on your invitation list. Think of your demographic, right. <laughs> Absolutely. There's a lot of things to consider. Um, I mean, up until recently, there are some events that we would still post um, invitations yeah. out for, and that's fine. I think that has its place, but we're trying to move to obviously just being online. Yeah. Um, it makes it a little bit easier and the response time a little more secure. Yeah. You know, sometimes you send invites out and they don't reach people to after the event's taken place. Yeah. You know, things can go haywire. So being a bit more direct helps. Yes. Um, but I guess as much as you can, where you can, online, you know, um, Instagram seems to be, um, I guess, a bigger or a more populated I think Facebook is still used for a lot of that kind of stuff but I think gone are the days where we would you know create a Facebook event and invite people along and that would be their one way of that's right well they're just you can still do that absolutely but in terms of how responsive that will will be is another question so look I mean in the Catholic world we kind of um we keep it pretty simple, I suppose, in how we invite. And maybe that's, you know, because we're not commercial. Yes. And it's not necessarily, the invitation is always extended to all, but yeah. um, it works a little bit differently in terms of how many people are coming to your events. I guess we're not relying on that in some sense. So that yes. does make a difference. But mm-hmm. it's, um, yeah, as far as, as far as far and wide as you can. And I think, again, that relationship stuff is really important where if you're able to always find a difference, if, you know, you know the school APRAM and you personally send them an email or a message and they'll respond a little differently to you know emailing from the generic yes office email to the generic rec email you get always try to make it personal yeah, yeah. that's right that always makes a big difference too so yeah and using those different mediums as well as much as you can, can. But yeah it's um yeah definitely a, a hard thing to engage with yeah it can be sometimes not always but not always but yeah, yeah you've got to trust that and i guess having other people on board that's one thing that i've found if someone's you know volunteering or performing or things usually they they bring the people around them as well so Absolutely. Yeah. Word of mouth is a big thing. And if you've got someone involved or engaged in something you're doing at your particular event, it's always a good way yeah. to draw more people in and get that exposure happening. Because, you know, they might not have usually come. And now that their student or their cousin or, you know, yeah. someone is in or attending for whatever reason and they're engaged, why not? You know, Absolutely. great way to extend that invitation as far and wide as you can. Yeah. And it's such a sweet spot, isn't it? Like finding that, like I find a lot of my conversations, you know, especially in church circles, you know, people, you know, we want to, you know, spread the word. We want to gather more people in. Um, But sometimes that may not be a reality. So um, it's also good to maybe be very intentional of, okay, maybe, 
you know, um, we should aim for a smaller group or, or things like that. So you, I guess you could really play with the numbers like like that, like what you do, what you would plan for thousands as opposed to just like a group of yep. 12. Yeah, like, that's yeah. right. I think that's really important. And again, depending on a lot of context, but, you know, always being prepared, I suppose. Yes. And that is the key in, when you say not being frazzled is just not lowering your expectations, but understanding that they might not be met in terms yeah. of where you expect them to be. Yes. So how do you plan for that? How do you make sure that if, you know, as you say, rather than 50 people coming, there's 10 people. Yeah. Well, that does make a difference in terms of your activities or how you would engage yes. people. A much smaller group can sometimes feel almost daunting. Yes. Um, <laughs> but if you're prepared for that, then you, I think you, you just have a better shot at actually, yeah. you know, making everyone feel comfortable, including yourself. Yeah, that's important, right? Absolutely. Yeah, you've got to enjoy it too. Um, and I think one thing that's really important, especially in um, events within the church circles, is that we talk a lot about hospitality. Um, and I like to think that that's sort of the, the sweet source that can help make our events, you know, memorable, personal and meaningful. So I'm curious to know for you, what does good hospitality look like when you're putting on an event? When I think about hospitality, the biggest thing is when you welcome people, if you yourself feel frazzled and you have mm. a you know, a sense when people are coming in that you're kind of all over the place and you're rushing like a mad woman, man, you know, wherever you need to be and, you know, things – you're constantly distracted, I suppose, in terms of when you're welcoming people. I think people feel that. Yeah. Um, So kind of having a calm energy around um, welcoming people is really important. But then also, you know, taking that time to greet people and have a chat with them and, you know, really welcome them into that space, make them feel comfortable if they need anything, et cetera, et cetera. I think, again, yeah, it does depend on the environment. But also if myself, I'm not specifically being the person who might be doing the greeting, Mm -hmm. which can often happen just because... Logistics, yeah. Yeah, we're on the ground running, um, doing all the things that other people don't need to be worried about. We'll appoint... Um, you know, some other people to be the greeters or the welcomers and just really being um, purposeful in who we choose yeah. to do that stuff, knowing, you know, the, how they might greet. Um, but then also if you're hosting anything, I th- I think of hospitality as well for us post-mass, you know, yes. when we invite people into a space afterwards to gather because you might not always get that opportunity before yeah. an event takes place. So, you know, allowing people that space afterwards to just relax and engage together, um, you know, have a space for sharing, talk about what's just taken place if they want to, or just to catch up, yeah. meet new people, you know, so affording that, that hospitality is always really lovely. Absolutely. And putting that in your timeline to like give that space. Cause sometimes we think, oh, we need to go from here to here and have this, but actually giving people that, that breather and maybe even things that sort of instigate that. I remember at one event, we had a coffee cart before things um, kicked off and it was just wonderful, you know, people would order coffee and because they were waiting in the vicinity, they didn't really have a choice but to yep. chat with each other. So, yep. you know, maybe thinking of those incidental things where, where people can, you know, connect and that's why we, we have community and, and That's things. right. And I think some of those incidental things are almost can become intentional, you yes. know, in, in a way that they're almost strategic but in a, in a positive way it gives people that opportunity and as you say, I feel like we often rush. Yes. Rush is a big part of our world. We move from one space to another very quickly and sometimes that's going to happen. That is life. Life is busy. But, you know, I remember a couple of years ago really trying to be careful with saying I'm busy all the time because it is a constant um, and understandably everyone is. But making that time and space and allowing people into a space that where they can actually take a breather I think is really important. Oh, that's so beautiful to have that intentionality of, of taking that time and having that space. 
Um, and right now I'm going to actually out you a little bit, Belinda, because oh I've no. got a story of your great help that um, really, really came to my aid when things went wrong. So in one of the events that I was helping organise, um, you know, I was in charge of the food, which, you know, from my Italian background, that, you know, that <laughs> that's something very important. And I'd, I thought it'd be great to have um, Vietnamese banh mi's and I had, you know, ordered a lot of them, the order had came through, but I wasn't available, talking about business, to go check the order when it came. So 15 minutes before lunch, I pop out and see that the regular full-size barn meats that I had ordered actually had come in the mini size and it was 15 minutes before lunch and I had just brought shame to my family oh, and my gosh. ancestors. And <laughs> Nonno would be very disappointed. Oh, my goodness. I'd be <laughs> ousted. Um, so I was I was frazzled, to say the least. I was panicking. And you just came with your phone and you're like, right, um, this is what we can do. I've just ordered enough pizzas and it's within your budget. And, yes, there's things with the gluten freeze and the vegans. And what we're going to do, we're actually going to split the session. This will be just like a snacky lunch. We'll split the next session in half and then we'll come for a second lunch with the pizzas. And, I, yeah, you, you really saved me there um and that's just an example maybe of when things don't go to plan like I had my list I I had checked it I had made sure that you know the, the full size were paid and ordered um but you know things go haywire so <laughs> thank you for coming through oh, for gosh. that and also I just want to hear from you um how do you keep that calm what do you do when things go wrong when things don't go according to our, our wonderful plans that we make good goodness first of all that is way too much credit that you've just given me honestly <laughs> was more than happy to help but sometimes as you say these things just do happen there's um definitely some things that are out of our control yeah. and so um we've had some real doozies even slight things when you know you read it you think your readers arrived for mass and they haven't and suddenly no one's moving oh. and you've got to run up there and do the reading yourself and just pray to God that there's no funny weird words, words yeah. that you're not <laughs> going to be able to pronounce. And I have, that's happened to me before too. So it's oh. always a bit of fun, but I think um, there's a part of that process that's just acceptance, yes. like understanding that things aren't always going to go right. Um, we make a whole bunch of notes every time we have any event, um, post the event to make sure that, you know, whatever we need to do for the following year or if it's a one-off event that you would know that if you ever yeah. do it again. Just things to keep in the back of your mind. But I, I don't know if it's a personality thing. I don't know if it just gets easier over time. Um, you know, we had a mass just gone by on Australia Day morning and we had a number of people involved in that mass and um, there was a bunch of stuff that went wrong. And honestly, all you can do is laugh. It's, yeah. it's almost yeah. comical sometimes yeah. <laughs> when these things happen. But I think take a deep breath and you always have to kind of recognise what's the worst that's going to happen. Yeah, right. You know, just putting it in perspective is always important. But when you, you know, I suppose you have a level of... I don't want to say perfection, but you have an expectation as to, to how you yeah. want things to go. It's easy to really feel like you've, as you said, shamed Personally. your family or you <laughs> you, know, you get really down on yourself. Yeah. Um, well, I'll give you an example. The first year I worked in the events office, it was a Friday evening and we had a mass on, which was due to have catering after. That part I didn't know. And I was mm. out for dinner with a friend and I received a phone call saying, where's the food? And I said, I... I don't know, I, I didn't order any catering. Was there meant to be? Yeah, there was. You know, the, the hall is locked and no one's there. The lights are off. And I just went, oh, my gosh. It was a total miscommunication. Yeah. Um, I offered to order pizzas. It was the best. <laughs> that seems like my trademark move, <laughs> right? When in doubt, order a pizza. I feel like we should put that on a T-shirt. Oh, I love it. Um, and so they were 
lovely about it and I was extremely apologetic and I have never done it since. So yeah. it's almost, it was a, as I said, baptism by fire in that first year to learn all these things. And sometimes once you've done it once, you won't do it again. Yes. But you, so, you know, every time now you'll double check your catering order and yes. you make sure that you don't get that hiccup at your event, but then something else will present itself. Yeah. And just, as I said, you take a deep breath and it's not just me doing that. I have some really lovely colleagues around me who, you know, are able to troubleshoot really well too. And so put those minds together and you often get a good result. And generally speaking, people are pretty forgiving and yeah. people are really lovely. Sometimes I don't even notice, like, you know exactly what it was meant to be, but if it's something minor or not so, you know, visual, yes. they won't really, they won't really know. No, so also right. to keep that in mind that not everybody knows your schedule. That's and plan. right. And sometimes the things that you notice aren't there or have gone wrong, as you say, some people wouldn't even know. Yeah. Oh, amazing. That's great advice. Do you have any other final sort of top tips or things to keep in mind when you plan events? I think above all, have fun. You know, I don't think events are, I know it's not for everyone, maybe not for the faint hearted as some people say, and everyone has different um, personalities and ways that they'll approach things. Obviously, the way I do it is not right for everyone. Mm. And, you know, I've got friends who are, um, have studied events or, you know, worked in events and really plan things differently. I'm definitely a timeline kind of gal, but, um, I think, yeah, be creative, have fun where you can. And I think that will naturally make it more exciting and make it more motivating to want to plan something. And then you almost, because you're motivated to, to plan it, it seems easier, you know, rather than, and uh, you know, in a line of work for me, not everything is, I guess, always my idea or you kind of plan things on someone's behalf or you just help with some bits and pieces. But it's still, again, if you're motivated by planning, that organisation would be, you know, is another key as well. Um, But yeah, just make it your own and don't be afraid to ask for help too. I think it's, it's really unrealistic to expect one person to be able to kind of hold everything that's right hold all the the plans in their head and I've been really conscious of that in my job too Mm. when I first started I found that really hard to let go of um I think I'm better at it now I hope my colleagues would say that (laughs) um but being able to delegate and just understand that it's not all on you you might be a driver but you shouldn't hold that all within you so you know enjoy the process too but always reach out for help um yeah that's it, can. I think. That's amazing. So are there any resources that you find particularly helpful, you know, whether that be any books or, or YouTube channel or a certain app or something? Yeah, so I think over time we have kind of refined our resources to be more suitable for mm. us and I think that's a good way to go because, uh, as I mentioned, we're a really niche little corner um, yes. of the events planning world and so uh, church events are a little bit different and so how we do that um, is very different to some of the stuff you might find online in terms of checklists. But there is always the bare bones of what you need to do and get yes. done and stuff you need to think about. Scrolling through Instagram, honestly, is a oh. bit of a help too. I follow a fair few event planners. Not that they really give you uh, their how-to. I suppose yes. everyone has a different process in how they approach stuff. But just ideas and yeah. you know, seeing what people do and thinking outside of the box, you know, I guess regularly checking in with different yeah. uh, dioceses uh, to see what they're doing, you know, uh, looking on their websites and checking out their Facebook pages and just, um, you know, keeping up with what's going on around the country too. I suppose you try to be as uh, local as yeah, we can be. to see other examples, yeah. Absolutely, and what's happening around the place and what are things that would, would work here and wouldn't work here. 
Oh, Belinda, thank you so much for coming today. Um, just to wrap us up, I would just love to hear if you've got maybe one piece of encouragement or advice um, you'd like to pass on to people who are looking to put on an event or do something for you know young people in their area. I guess you just you have to assess what you need. I mean, mm. the encouragement is to do it. Don't shy away from it just for the sake that it might seem hard. I yes. think there is so many, um, as I mentioned, resources in place and even if it is just a simple Google, yeah, don't absolutely don't shy away from it. There's so much out there that you can do and for young people, I think afford them the opportunity to, to come together, be yes. together, have that space to share. I feel like it's few and far between, particularly in our in our environment. Um, it's becoming definitely more of a challenge, yes. I suppose. And so it doesn't always need to be huge and, you know, you don't need to have ridiculously big draw cards, but it can be simple and just um, I think reminding yourself of that simplicity is also a really great thing because if you start from yourself, if you have a lovely space with good company, even if it's a small group, it's still really nice to be a part of. Everyone does it a bit differently, but I think go for it. Yes. Um, there's, There's so much out there that's able to help you. It's not not enough of a reason not to do it just because you're you're scared of it yeah. and uh, hopefully some of the stuff we've mentioned today is able to guide people and help them a little bit to feel safer in moving forward yes. with with planning something um if they'd like to yeah to have those tool, tools to move forward and yeah let's see what wonderful things um will come out of it i'm excited fingers crossed <laughs> well thanks so much for coming today belinda i've yeah i feel encouraged um really from this conversation and yeah look forward to more occasions to get together and have community and grow beautiful thanks for having me juliana much appreciated thanks so much Thank you for listening to the Catholic Youth Podcast. Make sure to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Cath Youth Adelaide to stay up to date with all the latest information, resources and events. Until next time, see you.